The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. The time where we often hear preaching uh, of texts like Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Or, or Micah 5, 2, and 3. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And therefore... He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Classic Advent text. Uh, because of this, people can often reduce Advent to a celebration of Christ's birth. And, and by reduce, I don't mean that this is, is wrong. It's, it's not wrong to do this. We certainly should and do celebrate the birth of our Lord. This is something in which we rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us. Incarnate in the flesh, our flesh. Yet, Advent is meant to be a time not just of celebration, but also of anticipation. And why is that? Because Christ's first Advent, his first coming, was preparation for his second Advent. Yes, you heard correctly. There, there is more than one Advent. And the first doesn't hold much weight without the second you don't want to separate this package deal. And, and scripture doesn't separate them either. You'd be hard pressed to find a passage in the Bible that mentions the first appearance of Christ without also off immediately finding another re reference to what the Messiah will ultimately accomplish by the end of his work in his second coming. Why? Again, Christ's first advent was preparation for his second advent. It is with Christ's second coming that this age now between the advents will come to an end. This age when the sting of death is conquered through faith in Christ, but death is still a reality. This age when anyone who is in Christ is a new creation already, but only some things, not all things have been made new. This age when the spirit of Christ dwells within believers, yet we don't see Christ's face. Because of these easily perceived issues in the world around us, very easily perceived today, we should be living with great anticipation. So, for the next three weeks, we will be exploring portions of Scripture that teach us and guide us on how to live in anticipation of the return of Christ, or how Luke states it, how to be a people prepared. A people prepared. This is a phrase that I'm stealing from Luke's gospel to use as the title for this Advent series. And it comes from Luke chapter 1. Would you read with me starting in verse 5? In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. A whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." In our passage this morning, we find a number of preparations being made. An angel of the Lord appears to prepare Zechariah for his wife's pregnancy. A name is prepared for this child, John. This child, John himself, will be prepared in his mother's womb, being filled with the Holy Spirit in a unique way. What wonderful news, right? Elizabeth and Zechariah prayed for a child for so long. And God had a plan for them all that time. Now revealed. And now begins the time of preparation. And there's nothing quite like preparing for a baby or two. The, the Lord blessed human mothers with a nine-month gestational period, give or take. Compare that to a possum, which gives birth 12 days after conception. Could you imagine? Not much time to prepare there. Uh, we like to prepare for big things, and a baby is a huge change. Now, imagine if you weren't just having to prepare for a baby, but you were actually having to prepare for a huge baby, like an elephant, which actually has a gestational period of 22 months. The Lord was gracious in, in that situation, because you need time to prepare for a baby that big. But in all the preparations being made in this passage, Zechariah is told something that probably caught him off guard, maybe even more so than the fact that an angel appeared to him. He is told that the son for which he will be preparing, that son will end up being the one to prepare Zechariah and so many others for the Lord. Most parents understand their responsibility to prepare their children. But here, Zechariah receives the news that his child will actually be preparing him. This is John's angelically stated purpose, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In this verse 17, Luke uses two different words in similar ways to talk about preparing. The first one is when we are told that John's ministry will be to make ready. That word, to make ready, a verb, that is his specific calling. And he will and did spend his life in some pretty difficult circumstances, doing some pretty strange things, in order to accomplish his overarching goal of making ready. Then, 
Luke uses a slightly different word to talk about what John is actually making ready. A people prepared. It's actually a, a different word for prepared here than used uh, in John's verb to make ready. The word translated as prepared here, it only appears in Luke's gospel one other time. And that's in the context of Jesus talking about John's prophetic ministry. In fact, in all of the gospels, this specific word is only used when talking about John the Baptist. But to help us understand what this means, the people prepared, we can look to the author of Hebrews who, who uses this word multiple times. Uh, once he uses it in chapter three, when he's talking about building a house, translated building there. Uh, again, in chapter nine, when the author is talking about constructing the temple, that same word prepared. And then, and lastly, in chapter 11, when talking about Moses, uh, Noah building the ark, building there, preparing. So the picture here is of John the Baptist, but more accurately, maybe John the Builder, the one who will not simply find the Lord's people through his ministry, but who will assist in their construction, in their preparation. What does that tell you? It tells me that the Lord's people need some work. They certainly need some work. I, I took our um, Honda Odyssey, the mom van, to the shop this week. It, it needed some work um, on, on the brake specifically, but anytime you take your car to the shop, you usually walk away with this laundry list of everything else that needs to be fixed on your car. And that's exactly what I walked away with. It, it was worse than I thought. And here, with John preparing the Lord's people, it's probably worse than most of us realize. What's the diagnosis? Where have we, the Lord's people, broken down that we now need to be built back up. Verses 16 and 17 of, of Luke chapter 1 provide some details about our brokenness, our unpreparedness. Luke writes, He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. There's the problem. We have turned away from God. We have turned away from one another, even our own children. We have become disobedient, foolish, and unrighteous. Now, this diagnosis really shouldn't come as a surprise to those who have been following the call of God's prophets all along. These words in Luke 1 are actually first found, as you already heard read once this morning, from the prophet Malachi. The last chapter of the last book in our Old Testament closes with a solemn warning and a hopeful promise. For behold... The day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evil, evildoers will be stubble. The, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked 
for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is truly terrifying imagery to, to a degree that it often doesn't digest easily, even for believers. Uh, a burning oven, a stubble, a blaze, a decree of utter destruction. This is the solemn warning that I mentioned. The Lord is gracious to warn us. And lest we fall into the trap that so many others are ensnared by, the trap of thinking that this Old Testament God seems a lot more serious and wrathful than the New Testament God, as if the two are not the same one. We see very similar language even in the letter to the Romans. Romans 2.5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Our impenitent hearts refusing to repent. The day is coming, a day of righteous judgment, when the wrath of God will be revealed against all ungodliness. And this great fire of the Lord's wrath against evil and unrighteousness will consume sinners and reduce them to nothing. John the Baptist himself pointed people towards Jesus while describing him like this. In Luke 3, verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Malachi, that prophecy in chapter 4, begins with those words, behold, the day is coming. It ends in the last verse of chapter 4, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The day of the Lord. This is not the Lord's day, as in Sunday, a day of worship, but rather the day of the Lord. And if, if you're familiar with your, your Bible, you'll know that this phrase is found all over the place, but especially in the prophets. It's, it's widely acknowledged that the Bible refers to many days of the Lord, plural, many of which have already passed. I'm referring to the, the moments of judgment that pagan nations or even Israel experienced throughout the Old Testament. For, for some, this day has already occurred. The day of the Lord for them has occurred. But it's also clear that in some places where the scripture talks about the day of the Lord, it's talking about a final, ultimate day of judgment. And that day, since we continue to feel the presence of sin and evil, has not come yet. It is the subject of much debate as to what exactly the Bible teaches will happen before and during this day of the Lord, or when this day will even occur. But what isn't very debatable is that Scripture calls us to prepare for this day. 
This, this moment that draws closer with each and every breath. If we're honest, I'm not sure we fear this day enough. Whether that's because we have skipped over these passages in our Bible for so long, or because we just say, well, uh, I'm saved, so who cares? This day of the Lord doesn't mean the same thing if you're a true believer, the wheat that Jesus was talking about. So you may not have to fear the ultimate punishment for yourself, but you can certainly fear it for your neighbor. The Lord is gracious to warn us, but he abounds with grace even more in sending before this day has come someone who will prepare us and someone who will heal us and someone who will help us not just stand in the day of judgment, but actually, as Malachi said, leap like calves. And I I know some of you are thinking, leap like calves. I haven't jumped in 15 years. Well, get ready. Brittany and I both turn 30 next year, so we may be able to leap now, but the passage will probably mean more to us come this March. Malachi ends with this great promise of, of sending Elijah to do exactly what is quoted in Luke 1 with reference to John's ministry. Wait, so, so which one is it? John or Elijah? Malachi promises Elijah but then we get to Luke 1 and we see John fulfilling what the, the prophet Elijah was, was supposed to be doing. Well, the answer, which one is it, is really both. I bet some of you hate that answer. It can't be both. Well, you're really not going to like this then. John 1, 21, the priest asked John the Baptist if he is Elijah and see what he says. I am not. Yet... In Matthew's gospel, chapter 11, Jesus says this, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's slightly confusing, but how Luke helps us in this situation is when he says that John will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist is the prophet Elijah in as much as and because of the fact that he has the spirit of Elijah, which was the spirit to impart to the people a knowledge of the one true God. Why do I say that? Well, think about Elijah's ministry. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we see him challenging these idols, these false gods, and Uh, He sets up this standoff and uh, he's going to burn this altar as a, or uh, he's going to let God burn this altar as a way of showing who is the one true God. And before so, he's putting all this water on it. He's making it soaking wet to just prove his point. And then it says this in verses 36 and 37. And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. 
that this people may know. The spirit of Elijah was to make known the one true God. In, in 1 Kings 18, what he's actually doing is confronting King Ahab and Jezebel for their idolatry. In the same spirit, John the Baptist had to reprove King Herod for taking his brother's wife, Herodias. Uh, something we've recently detailed going through Mark's account that resulted in his eventual beheading. John the Baptist is the prophet Elijah because he has the spirit of Elijah. And, and John the Baptist is the prophet Elijah because he has the power of Elijah, which is really the power of God to turn the hearts of the people. The very ending of that verse 37 in 1 Kings 18 says this, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Turn their hearts back. This is the same language we find in Luke 1. John's ministry will be one of turning many of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. Really, what John is doing in his ministry is joining a long line of God's prophets, all of whom could condense their prophetic messages down to a single word. Turn, or sometimes translated, return. Why this word? What's so special about it? Well, look at it in the context in which John's ministry is prophesied. Malachi chapter 3. It's the chapter that begins with, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. You know this is being applied to John in the Gospels. But then we come down to verse 7, and we find out why a messenger is needed in the first place. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of Hosts. Ever since the first man and woman, people have turned from God, refused to believe his word, decided what is good and evil for themselves, and became gods in their own eyes. The call of the prophets all along has been to forsake that way of life, to repent and to turn back to God. You see, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah confronted a wicked ruler and called the people to turn back to the Lord. In the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist confronts a wicked ruler, Herod, and calls the people to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This morning, I pray that I myself am standing here in the spirit and power of Elijah in some manner confronting a wicked ruler, a wannabe king. And I'm, I'm talking, of course, about you. You who live without regard to your creator, without acknowledgement of his law, without gratitude and worship directed towards the only true God, seeking to appease your own interests. We are certainly 
wicked rulers of our own hearts. Deceiving ourselves in every possible way to ignore God and reign over our neighbors. We are by nature heading in a direction away from the Lord towards destruction in the day of the Lord. Which is why the Lord is so gracious to speak his prophetic word and call us back. And that's exactly how he does it. Through his word. In fact, just a couple of chapters later in Luke's gospel, we see John fulfilling the words given to Zechariah by the angel that his son will turn the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. And how does he do this? Through God's word. Luke 3, verse 2, it's the word of God that comes to John the Baptist and sends him out to proclaim the word of God, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. His proclamation is a proclamation from the word of God. Isaiah chapter 40, prepare the way of the Lord. Even this morning, if we are to be a people prepared, how does God do this? Through his word. Through his word, this morning, God is preparing his people by his powerful spirit, through his prophetic word, for his promised return. What the rest of Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17 gives us is a, a picture of, of a complete repentance, a complete turning. Because we see in verse 16 that this turning has to, it is essential that this turning starts with turning to the Lord. It starts as a repentance to, towards the Lord. But that turning to the Lord affects every facet of our lives. Because we see that John will also turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. If you're like me, one of the first questions you have is, well, in Malachi 4, it says the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the hearts of the fathers. But here in Luke 1, it's just the hearts of the fathers to the children. I am not sure why. I, I could not give you a solid answer on why that part is, is left out. And I don't even want to make too much of it if it's really supposed to just infer the entire prophecy just from quoting it partially. But what we see here, there's a, a priority given to the turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. Just, just a guess. And I, I know this is true, but it may not be the only reason it, it, it appears like this in scripture. The fathers of this new generation that will come after John's ministry and now Jesus's ministry will be recipients of the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that no generation has before. Therefore, what would it mean for fathers of this new generation with Jesus inaugurating the kingdom of God? What would it mean for the fathers 
to have their hearts turned towards their children. What I, mean, what I think it means is that there will be and should be a prioritizing of the spiritual nurture of our future generations. To have as a father or a parent, your heart turned towards your child. And as a result of your heart being turned back towards the Lord, what does that look like? It means the discipleship and the spiritual nurturing of your children will be your utmost priority. To have the hearts of the fathers turned towards the children. A people prepared a people prepared does not simply take the good news and keep it to themselves. A truly penitent, a truly turning away from their sin people, if they are prepared, they understand the call to prepare those who come after them as well. The third preparation that we see in Luke 16 and 17 is another turning. We, we turn to, towards the Lord. Our hearts are turned to our children. And John will also turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. See, a unique phrase in the Bible here. Who are these disobedient? Well, Malachi, if this is where the prophecy comes from, he gives us a picture of the injustice and disobedience that we're called to turn from. In, in verse five of chapter three, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord. This is Malachi's picture of injustice. And John's ministry and message is going to be one of turning from this disobedience, not just inwardly towards God, but outwardly to those around us. Where do we see this in, in John's actual ministry? In, in Luke chapter 3, he speaks to the crowds, the many who are coming out to be baptized and his message to them, especially the religious leaders who he thinks are um, not appropriately coming to him, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And, and this word disobedient that we see in, in Luke's gospel, it, it could literally be translated the unpersuaded. The ones who just aren't persuaded. By what? by God and his law and the need for justice. This is the fool who says in his heart that there is no God and proceeds to live however he pleases. And Luke's, uh, or John's ministry will be one of turning those disobedient, foolish people towards the wisdom of the just. What, what does this mean? The just. The, those are the people who are persuaded of the need for justice, the moral demands of human existence, and the goodness of God's law. And in connection with the second coming of Christ, the wisdom of the just really refers to those who believe that they will give an account 
for their deeds as expressed over and over again in scripture. These are the people who are prepared. The people who are prepared. As I move towards this conclusion, I have to say that for believers, this great and awesome day has come already. Malachi 4, verse 6, this great and awesome day has come already. So when we talk about preparing, I don't mean that we should prepare in the exact same way as everybody else who isn't a believer. Because for us, it's already passed. What, when exactly? When God poured out his wrath on the Son of Man at the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see that word, healed. Malachi 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The son of righteousness, the light that shines in the darkness is Jesus Christ. In him is found healing. And how, how does all this work? How, how is it that this great and awesome and terrifying day of the Lord has come already for believers? Paul helps us in Romans 3 verses 23 and 26. And he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and therefore we're all doomed to destruction in this day of the Lord. But they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, on that great and awesome day, the second advent of Christ, the one for which we, we prepare, God will be, as he is now, the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. For those who have no faith in Jesus. For those who do not fear the name of the Lord and serve him, the arrogant and the evildoers, God will not be the justifier. He will simply be just. John's call was to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And John's ministry shows us exactly what a picture of a prepared people looks like. Four things. A prepared people is a penitent people. That's Romans 2, when Paul talked about the impenitent hearts storing up wrath. Well, then we are called to be penitent, to, to repent, not to do penance, but to be 
penitent. Have you repented? John's ministry also shows us that a prepared people is a forgiven people. This goes hand in hand with repentance. With repentance, true repentance comes true and complete forgiveness. John preached the good news and called people for a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A prepared people is a forgiven people. Have you repented for the forgiveness of your sins? A prepared people, as John's ministry teaches us, is also a believing people. We are not just called to say sorry for our sins, as if that was all repentance was. But he preached good news to people that they might believe. A a prepared people is a believing people. And lastly, a prepared people is a fruitful people. That's what we saw in Luke 3. He calls people to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. The, The disobedient, the hearts of the disobedient will be turned to the wisdom of the just. A penitent people, a forgiven people, a believing people, and a fruitful people. And the question this morning is, are you prepared? John the Baptist's purpose was to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, and our call is to be prepared. The first advent of Christ ended with his crucifixion. On the day of his crucifixion, Christ crushed the serpent's head. The second advent of Christ. On the day of his return, Christ will come up, will come to clean up all of the snake guts. And we don't want to be unprepared. Would you pray with me? Lord, if we take your word seriously, we understand that what we deserve in this second advent of Christ is judgment for our sin and and complete destruction. We are the evildoers. We are the arrogant. God, how many of us, especially during this time of year, live lives seeking to meet our own wants and desires without reference to you, without reference to the needy, without reference to our children, our brothers and sisters, all of our neighbors around us. On the day of the Lord, by ourselves, we would stand condemned and destroyed. But the reason why this church exists the reason why your word exists is to proclaim to us the good news of your grace in Jesus Christ. God, you have not left us to figure this out by ourselves. You have given us prophet after prophet delivering your word to prepare us for that great, terrifying, yet glorious day. 
Help us to take this Advent season as an opportunity to examine ourselves as to whether or not we are prepared for that day that draws closer and closer each day. God, as your people are spread out in their homes, would you prepare their hearts? You, through your powerful spirit, through your prophetic word, for your promised return, would you prepare their hearts? That is my prayer for us all, that you prepare our hearts to prepare for your day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net. Thank you.